I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. It's the news I have been promising and I can finally share it with you. And it almost feels so odd to be sharing this news during this time of the world, but it's like such an incredible time to be the you that you want to be. And so I am stoked to finally tell you guys that I have empowered a motivational journal for women coming out June. And guys, let me tell you, it is full of thought-provoking prompts that encourage and empower you to dig deep and cultivate positive change. It's motivational. It's got tons of inspirational quotes and plenty of pages to write and a gorgeous design with illustrations. And I am so proud of it. It totally puts into practice everything uh, that I did to see the dream of being traditionally published with an international book to fruition. And I know uh, that so many of these prompts have had wild success with my clients, and I'm so excited to finally share this with you. And you can pre-order it today. Ah, I can't believe it's like really happening. And I put the link in the show notes. Check it out. Such good timing for all things spring and summer on the horizon. Today, I have Deborah Keston on the podcast. She is the author of Whole Person Integrative Eating, and she talks, first of all, she is personally chatted with Deepak Chopra, so legit here, and she's talking all the different ways that we create habits around our eating and how we can get healthy from the inside out. Check out this podcast. So, so happy to have you on. <laughs> Same here. Pleasure to be on your show. Oh, can't can't wait to dive into some of this stuff. Um, you've you've done some pretty uh, in, incredible work as far as kind of how you're diving into the nutrition and health industry in general. And uh, could, would you mind giving the listeners a little bit of an overview about who you are and and all that you do? Oh my, um, I'll shorten this. I promise. Um, <laughs> Hi, um, I have been working as a nutrition researcher for many years and a nutrition and health writer for many, many years. And what I would really appreciate talking with you about today is whole person integrative eating, which is a scientifically sound model and program for actually halting and reversing overeating and overweight and obesity. And that's what my life's work really has been about for the last 25 years. I, as I was preparing for our interview, I was just kind of looking back at all of the different things that you've done over the years and the books that you've written. And it's really impressive. And, you know, I don't think I know a single person who is completely happy with their health, especially their eating or their nutrition or their weight. Um, it just seems to be a global epidemic. You have nailed it. Um, my life's passion and mission is to help people and be of service in some way. And 
A key way to do this is to share my discovery of whole person integrative eating. And what I mean by that is so many of us, as you just said, struggle with food and weight issues. And whole person integrative eating is a scientifically sound program to actually halt and reverse overeating, overweight, and obesity. Wow. So I'm going to dive into some of these questions here because I've got a lot of them. But before I do that, I want to tell you this story and get your thoughts on this because one of the thing, one of the things that I was reading about is that you have documented proof that people can overcome eating. And one of the things that I saw, this was years ago, it stuck with me. Um, I was living in the Bay Area at the time. I was a student um, in university at San Jose State and I had gone to the tech center in San Jose and they had this little... Um, you know, one of their, one of the things that they were showing was these rats and they showed how they had given the same amount of food to this amount, to these, this set of rats and the same amount of food to this set of rats. Actually, I think they were mice. And the one set was all fat, like really overweight, little tiny rat mices. (laughs) And the others were seemingly healthy. They were normal weight. And one of the things that they were studying, and granted, this was, I was an undergrad, I don't know, I think 20 years ago now, longer, um, they were studying a a gene that predisposed people to overeating and um, not knowing when to stop and their brain not telling them you're full and that sort of thing. And I was curious what your thoughts on that was, because I was wondering, is it genetic? And if it is genetic, is there a workaround? Because you you say here that you have some documented proof that people can overcome this. I'm curious about that. Well, we'll try to shorten the answer. That's it's really a huge and very important question. And what I mean by that is, when you mention genetic tendency, what we now know is this: whether it be overeating or a serious disease such as heart disease or diabetes or certain kinds of cancer and certainly overweight and obesity, what we now know is that the food you eat, whether it be filled with chemicals and and uh, be processed so it's missing a lot of nutrients, your stress versus being calm and balanced, the amount of sleep you get versus not getting adequate sleep, your the amount of exercise you do versus being uh, a couch potato, all of these lifestyle factors, especially the food you eat and what's in that food or not in that food, affects your genes. And the key concept is that if you are eating an optimal nutrient-dense diet, with lots of vitamins and minerals and fiber and phytochemicals and antioxidants and the nutrients your mind-body needs, it can switch off, that's the expression, switch off the expression of any kind of gene you have that may make you uh, uh, susceptible to a certain health problem, whether it be overeating or whether it be heart disease. So that's a big answer, but it's also a very hopeful answer that we now know that what you eat can actually switch off 
the expression of a gene that makes you what uh, be susceptible to overeating. That's my answer for that. Wow. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I, this, this, this study, like I said, I was, this was 20 years ago when I was in college and they were just starting to kind of tap into this concept that, um, you know, genes are playing a role, but it never dawned on me that perhaps the things, the choices that we're making life in our lifestyle is what's impacting how these genes are responding or mutating. Or, I mean, obviously the human genome, I mean, it's there for human survival. So if we give it certain input, it's going to tweak how it, how it responds and how it operates based upon that for the purpose of continuing life. So that's really an interesting thought there. Um, you know, and I don't think a lot of people think about their, their health on that level. I don't, I don't think people think about it as in at a cellular place, you know, that, that this is literally every, every fiber of our being. It's not just, oh, I'm sitting here at the Mr. Pickles, you know, sandwich shop and, and this sounds good. I'm going to eat now, but it really, I mean, all of those components you talked about from sleeping to, uh, you know, to exercise, to, uh, all of the different various components make up all of those decisions and how we end up living our life. And I think that's what you're talking about is whole person integrated eating, right? Correct. And I'll, I'll just get a little closure. We now call when, when you mentioned 20 years ago, when you were learning about this overeating gene <laughs> that you just mentioned, and about 20 years ago, there was an international multi-multi-million dollar study going on internationally called the Human Genome Project, studying our genes all over the world. And while that was happening, a researcher from Germany who was at Oxford University, he was a geneticist, he saw all these lights flashing on and off over our genes. And when I say genes, every cell of our body has what's called a genome, which is kind of like a house where all of our genes are stored in every cell. And we have approximately 23,000 genes in each of these genomes in every cell. He starts seeing lights flashing on and off. And he discovers just 20 years ago, the word epi means on top of, that sitting on top of every gene is an epigenome. Not every gene, but every genome is an epigenome. And that's the genome that gets all these messages from our hormones and our nutrients and our stress and our exercise and loneliness and isolation, social support and sleep or no sleep. All those chemicals that are created based on whether we have an optimal lifestyle versus not affect that epigenome and in turn affect the genome underneath that our cells, uh, our genome, our genes, which do not change. But the epigenome can influence whether that gene in our epigenome that makes us prone to certain illnesses can be switched on or off. It's fascinating and it's very new. You know, as you're talking, I'm I'm just thinking about cortisol, adrenaline, GABA, neurotransmission, all of that, and I'm thinking, wow, and all of that ties into addiction. So oh, this yes. must have to do with why we feel addicted to salt, addicted to sugar, addicted to this one. Th- as a matter of fact, this morning I went to get this breakfast salad. I mean, I'm happy to say it's relatively healthy, but I've been 
quote, addicted to it. When I eat the salad, I feel happy. I have a good day, you know? And, and so I'm like going out of my way now to stop and get this breakfast salad at this certain restaurant, this little, um, you know, cake maker restaurant that I like to go to. So it's, it's interesting how, um, I don't think we necessarily think about, you know, our addictive choices in that way either, but it makes sense. And it plays into, you know, our emotional status as well. How do, how do we feel when we eat this thing or does this routine of going to this place make us feel good even? And how is that impacting our eating choices? Well, what I have discovered, and this is published research, it's not my opinion, uh, we have two published uh, articles in research journals, medical journals, on whole person integrative eating. So this is not just my opinion, and isn't this fun? What I have discovered is food has a hugely important, powerful impact, not just on our physical health, which is where most of us live with food and eating and weight, but food also has a huge impact on our emotions, on what I call psychological nutrition, on our spiritual well-being, meaning if we eat with mindfulness, gratitude, or appreciation from the heart, and also loving regard when we eat. Those are the three elements of the spiritual component of whole person integrative eating, mindfulness, gratitude and loving regard, and also social nutrition, whether we eat alone by ourselves, which is becoming more and more common, versus with other people. So what I've discovered from my research on whole, what I now call whole person integrative eating is that food has a huge impact on our physical, our emotional, our spiritual and social well-being, that our food choices and eating behaviors are a huge, enormous complex of web of food choices and eating behaviors that have a huge impact on whether we overeat and gain weight or not. Mm-hmm. I love that. And as you were talking, I was jotting notes about loving regard. I, I haven't yes. heard it expressed like that before. And I, and I like that. I, I like the idea of mindfulness and consideration and enjoyment and all of that. Matter of fact, one of the healthiest eaters I know, oh, one of the healthiest people I know, let me put it that way, is the slowest eater I know. Like, it's annoying. When we're on a road trip and we, you know, there's no drive through, there's no nothing. We have to stop. We have to go in. We have to sit. We, you know, it's a bite, chew, chew, swallow, (laughs) water, converse, bite, chew, repeat, you know, and it's like annoying. But at the same time, it's also really a neat experience that slow down. You talk about us being a hurry, worry society. What does that mean and how does it apply to food? What that means is, how to start this, the journey into whole person integrative eating started in New Delhi, India. I used to write for magazines, and the co-author of whole person integrative eating, Dr. Larry Sherwitz, who is my husband, he's a behavioral scientist. We might also call that he specializes in mind-body medicine. He was invited to present at the first international conference on lifestyle and health in New Delhi, India. And I went with him, and I used to write for magazines, and one of the presenters was Dr. K.L. Chopra, who's a clinical cardiologist, and he is the father and mentor of well-known author and physician endocrinologist Deepak Chopra. And Dr. Chopra in New Delhi 
is a devout Hindu. And I asked him a general question, open-ended question about yoga and diet, which is what I plan to do an article on. And his immediately immediate response was that prana, your consciousness, it's a Sanskrit word for consciousness, is infused into the food when you eat, and in turn, when you ingest that food, you metabolize the nutrients with which, and the loving regard and consciousness with which the food was prepared. And the thought would not let go, Michaela, and I couldn't help but stop thinking about the concept that Hinduism is a 35-year-old religion. Dr. Chopra was talking about the Bhagavad Gita, which is Hindu scripture, telling us to cook with love. Today, we would use the science of quantum physics to look into this. And so I went on what I call a nutrition journey around the world, and I researched major world religions for their guidelines about food and eating, and what I call cultural traditions for their guidelines about food and eating, such as yogic nutrition and African-American soul food, Native American beliefs, and Eastern healing systems that include food and nutrition, such as traditional Chinese medicine, India's Ayurvedic medicine, even Tibetan medicine. Because we used to turn to world religions, cultural traditions, and Eastern healing systems for guidelines about what and how to eat prior to nutritional science in the 20th century, in the early 1900s. And what came out of that research, I call it ancient food wisdom meets modern nutritional science, because I took all this wisdom, put it together into seven perennial principles about optimal eating. And what our research revealed is two things. One, seven, and it sounds a little dry, but seven statistically significant overeating styles that are linked with overeating, overweight, and obesity. And the elements of the whole person integrative eating program are the elements of ancient food wisdom validated by modern science that are the antidotes to the whole person into to the overeating styles we've identified. So my heart is singing because you just touched on two two areas that I had notation to to talk with you about, and one of them is the fact that you have combined you know, modern science with ancient food wisdom, because it seems to me, I mean, everything you've talked about in the way of your conversation with Dr. Chopra and, you know, as far as mindful eating and, um, you know, the energy that's passed through the quantum physics, all of that aligns so well with me. And I think a lot of the listeners on this podcast, um, tend to also probably follow that mindset as well. But what I see a lot when I'm out in public is people say, well, that's great. Yeah, sure. Our ancestors, but that's just not the world we live in today. I have demands from work. I have demands from this. I have demands to get my kids here and there. And so what I loved is that you are combining the modern science with the ancient food wisdom. And I had a note here to ask you, what are the seven overeating styles? But can you talk a little bit before that about how you apply the modern the modern science with it because I do think that that is an important component to the healing process as far as how far off course we've gotten it has to work 
in today's modern society as well. I agree. And the seven new normal overeating styles, which I'll be glad to share with you, are the new normal overeating styles. And I'm going to save them quickly and then I'll tell you more about them. And I'll give you examples about ancient food wisdom and modern science. And when I, I just tell you quickly the overeating styles and the antidote, and I'll address loving regards specifically. One, emotional eating, which all of us are familiar with. Stress eating is another phrase for it, or comfort food eating. Another one is food fretting, dieting a lot, uh, being obsessed about the quote unquote, in quotes, best way to eat. It's called orthorexia very often. Fast foodism, we're all familiar with that, eating mostly processed food instead of fresh food. Sensory disregard, Michaela. Not taking the time to taste your food like your friend you, whom you travel with. Not taking the time to actually taste the food, to savor the flavors and colors and an environment in which you're eating. Task snacking, eating while you're doing other things at your computer, watching TV at your desk while walking. Unappetizing atmosphere, meaning internal atmosphere, an unappetizing atmosphere emotionally with negative emotions, anger or stress, and also an external atmosphere. Uh, for example, an unappetizing atmosphere might be uh, eating some muffin while, or a sandwich while you're at a gas station getting some gas for your, your car. Uh, another example is solo dining, eating alone more often than not, which is typical for most of us. And I'll, let me give you one quick example of, I mentioned loving regard as part of the antidote in the spiritual nutrition element of the what I call the four facets of food, the biological, psychological, spiritual, and social elements of whole person integrative eating. Here's an example, what I mean by that. Here is Dr. Chopra, a clinical cardiologist, telling me the Bhagavad Gita Hindu scripture, a spouse is cooking with love. And what I did was research major world religions as one of the ancient food wisdom guidelines for what and how to eat. And I have, I, every world religion also brings the concept of loving regard into food and eating. But here's how modern nutritional science verifies it, which I write about constantly. So this is not my personal opinion. A few years ago, maybe 20 years ago, a researcher named Neram, N-E-R-E-M, decided to see if he could create heart disease, atherosclerosis, hardening the arteries, build up plaque in the arteries of rabbits. And so to do this, he fed them a very high cholesterol diet to see what would happen. And when he went to assess the results, he discovered that one third approximately of the rabbits did not get clogged arteries and two thirds did. And he retraced the steps. And what he found out was there were three tiers of cages that the rabbits were kept in during the experiment. And the research assistant who would feed them would take the rabbits in the middle cages, in the tier, middle tier, out of the cages and hold them 
while feeding them. And those were the rabbits who did not get clogged arteries. And he could not believe this, and he replicated the study, and the exact same results happened. If they were removed from the cage. If they were removed from the cage and held by the, wow. by the research assistant. That's one example of one study. So this wow. is not just airy-fairy new age GE with love, which is in every culture. Again, look at this ancient food wisdom. Nobody is surprised to hear me talk about eating with loving regard because cooked with love is in the culture and it's been in cultures for millennia, the concept of cooking with love. You know, it's funny. My husband always says, oh, night, he'll make something and I'll say, gosh, it just tastes so much better. And he'll say, because my love was in it. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's so true though. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like there's this awareness that it was specially made for you. I mean, I even know when we're out to eat at a restaurant, if the owner, you know, comes up and asks, how was your meal? I swear it changes the way the food tastes right then. <laughs> I, <laughs> even if I wasn't that happy. I agree. Co-author Dr. Larry Sherwitz, he sometimes, I go, oh, don't do that. He'll sometimes ask the waiter what kind of mood the chef is in. <laughs> oh, boy. Isn't that true? Uh -huh. <laughs> it's true. So I, as you were talking about the seven overeating styles, I mean, so many of them, I, I was just thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, as you were talking about them, I was jotting notes. And one of them that I had wanted to talk with you about, so I'm glad you brought it up, is the orthorexia, the food fretting, um, the diet foods. I did a, I think most people on this podcast know at this point, I did a very lengthy detox last year. And when I came off of that detox. It was a cellular and uh, metabolic detox. I, I stopped calling my eating style by any labels. I stopped calling it pescatarian or vegetarian with fish or, you know, anything like that. I, I just tossed that out whole 30. I, I tossed out all that. And just, this is, this is my lifestyle. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I need to put a label on it anymore. Um, I don't, justify it to people when I'm out at restaurants and I, you know, am tweaking something that I'm ordering. And actually what I've found is that that shift in how I approach my choice shifted everybody around me. And I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but even my husband now, when he's going to the grocery store on the way home, he'll, he'll call and say, I'm making this tonight. What would you like to go with it? Well, knowing that I'm not going to eat this one certain thing or something like that. And even when I'm out at restaurants, like this breakfast salad that I like to order, um, I said to the lady, I'm going to hold the bacon. And she says, great. Would you like extra avocado? You know, there's no weirdness in it anymore. And um, how, what do you think about that? What do you think about these diet fads and people getting stuck in things like keto? I've seen people bounce back and forth, whole 30, paleo, keto, all of that. What do you think about the food fretting component? It's become completely normal. So let me share a little bit more about what food fretting overeating style is and, and then answer your question in terms of what the antidote is and what the 
pleasure is. Food fretting is the concept of good food and bad food and legal food and illegal food, sinful food, pure food. I, we use the expression, I sinned today. We project all this moral stuff onto the food and ourselves. And the food fretting overeating style is about being overly concerned about and focused on food and projecting moral judgment about what you or anyone else should, I underline that word, or should not eat. It's traditional dieting, which is what you're alluding to with the keto diet and the paleo and on and on, and thinking obsessively about the right way to eat, which is now called orthorexia, and also basing your self-worth very often on that and that of others on what and how much is eaten. So other, in other words, if you're often filled with these kinds of thoughts, you are practicing the food fretting overeating style, which is normal in this culture. So my answer to your question about all these diets one, there are many studies. One, the most famous one in my thinking is called the four diets study. And four diets were assessed to see which one brought the most weight loss. And they all brought the same amount of weight loss within two or three pounds. And all the people who went on the diet gained back the, most of the weight and some even more. So, the whole person integrative eating based on ancient food wisdom, modern nutritional science is based on the original meaning of the word diet. And that used to mean in the time of Hippocrates about godfather of medicine, uh, about 20 who lived about 2,500 years ago, dietary, diet meant dietary lifestyle, a way of life. And over the centuries, particularly in France, it evolved in Europe to mean a regimented, restricted way of eating. And any diet that a person goes on usually means, unless there's some uh, junk food diet I'm not aware of, usually means you're stopping all the donuts, you're stopping there's the rules. Yeah. All these rules, regulations, you're stopping all the junk food and all that food that makes you feel better. And I'll talk about that in a moment because it really does work. Having high sugar, high fat, um, high carb foods do make you feel better. So all diets don't work because you're on, you're not eating what you like or want and you're eating, learning to eat in an obsessive, what negative frame of mind and judging yourself and judging the food uh, when I've done, and it doesn't work. So I am talking about ancient food wisdom and whole person integrative eating, the effect of food on physical, emotional, spiritual, and social well-being, to eat in a pleasant frame of mind, fresh, whole food. It's that simple. And these are the foods that keep you calm and relaxed and help to heal and prevent and reverse different health problems. The key concept is diets don't work. I'm suggesting to return to a way of eating that did work, which was to relate to food as a pleasurable, sensual, social, delightful experience. The total antithesis 
of how most of us have been taught to relate to food and eating. Um, wow. And, and I, yeah, my mind's kind of spinning. Um, as I was just reflecting, you know, my parents and I and my husband went away for the weekend and we, um, we ate out and we ate a little differently than we normally would have because, you know, we're on holiday and, and we wanted to eat this lovely seafood and this and that. And my dad made a comment, Oh, I can't eat. We went to an Italian restaurant and he ate the pasta, you know, he made the comment, I just can't eat like that anymore. Um, it, it bothers my stomach because he eats clean now. And, um, and I thought about that and, and I felt that before where when you start to change completely, it almost is painful to go back, even if it's just for a cheat day or whatever they call it, or a, you know, oh, it's the certain holiday. So we're eating like this today. It's Super Bowl Sunday or whatever. Um, so what do you think about that component of it, that when people start making these lifestyle choices to eat differently in a way that is healthier, and then they have these days where they kind of fall off that beaten path because they're in a social environment or something like that? What, what do you think about that? Well, the concept in terms of the mindfulness element of spiritual nutrition, again, mindfulness, gratitude, and loving regard, the concept for mindfulness and whole person integrative eating program is to bring moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness to every aspect of the meal. The second element of my answer to your question is this. I was approached during the holidays in in December, just uh, two months ago, to write an article about how not to overeat during the holidays. And I turned down the article because I think that the holidays are the time to overeat and perhaps gain weight. The big issue, because that is the time you are eating very often delicious food, very often in a celebratory, delightful, kind of sparkly atmosphere with coworkers and family and friends. And the food is very often freshly prepared. And there's a celebratory atmosphere. And that's the time to overeat somewhat and perhaps gain some weight. Here's the key concept. What, how much, where, when, why and with whom are you eating most of the time the rest of the year? That is what's going to bring weight loss, health, and healing. I love that. And I even noticed like I'm planning for, I always host Easter. And so I was just talking with my sisters-in-law this morning about that. And I was saying, I think I'm going to do like soup and salad, you know, and we'll bring our, they each have their traditional things. They bring deviled eggs and spinach dip and whatever. But I was thinking about how most everybody now is not including certain things in their diets and how I would modify the general, um, over, you know, the primary meals that we're going to be eat, eating, I would modify them. And it's kind of become a familial change that has happened with all of us. So when we go out to eat, we are picking restaurants that tend to align better with how we're eating and things like that. So, so perhaps there's also a shift there when everybody starts to incorporate the style of living into their daily life. When you get together for holidays with those people, it's already factored in and it's not such of a, it, it you know, it's not so off base then. You've nailed it, Michaela, in my opinion, because we now know enough about nutritional science to eat to prevent a health problem for which you're at high risk, 
to to manage it, which is where most health professionals go. They help if you have diagnosed diabetes, for example, or heart disease, for example, you may be uh, told, oh, cut down on uh, cholesterol foods and eat l- l- less fat in your diet. That's kind of managing it. But we also know enough from work by Dr. Dean Ornish, and may I say my husband also, who's a research scientist and co-author of Whole Person Integrative Eating, Dr. Larry Sherwitz was Dean Ornish's director of research for almost 20 years. We now know that you can actually halt and reverse heart disease through lifestyle changes alone, what you're eating, managing stress, social support and loving connection with other people, and also some kind of physical activity. And these results have been published in Journal of the American Medical Association, The Lancet, New England Journal of Medicine. It's not just an opinion. Let me let me let me talk about a couple things that I've got on the list here because I find them so interesting. Um, one of them is this idea that you know a lot of what we've created in the way of disease in our modern society is because of the um, not culturalization but agriculturalization of how food is per, is presented to us. In other words, we used to have to work a lot harder to eat. So my husband and I, you know, we catch our fish. We have an extensive garden, a hothouse in the wintertime. We grow our food. So I know very familiarly how hard it is to come by food when you're growing it, catching it, you know, things like that. But I feel like we've completely removed that component from our diet and our lifestyle and food is just in extreme abundance. We don't have to work for it like we used to. Do you think that that changes the loving regard that we have for our food as you talk about? I think there are many elements that have changed our relationship to food. There's the what we eat. Most of us are completely, totally, 100% focused on what we are eating. What's going on with whole person integrative eating is this. How we eat has a huge impact with whom we eat, your environment. All of that has a huge impact on how food is metabolized and in turn our weight and in turn whether we're at risk for uh, heart disease, for example, or, or gaining weight. It's about much more than calorie counting. But if we had to work so much harder to get it, do you think we would slow down to enjoy it more? Like if we couldn't just zip through the drive-thru and get, you know, five tacos from Taco Bell or speed down the frozen food aisle and grab something that we can quickly microwave, if we had to either even just cook it or go get it, grow it, then cook it, do you think that that would change? Like if humans had to work a little harder for their food? Yes, and that would bring gratitude when you did have food. Yes, this is the ancient wisdom that I've been talking about. Yes, if you had to, uh, I, I, I'm stuttering because I avoid words like had and should and uh, all this judgment about uh, the expert telling people what and how they should eat. I avoid that. The key concept is, For thousands and thousands of years, 
we ate normal fresh food that we had to forage for and search for. And we also ate around a fire in a tribal kind of environment with other mm. people mm-hmm. in a pleasant atmosphere where we slowed down absolutely. Mm. Total opposite of what's normal now. And when we ate, when I don't know about this generation, but I'm sure some people in in the States and in the world still bless their food. We used to have blessings for food before we ate and say mm-hmm. gratitude. Again, science validates that when we eat in a very present, loving, mindful, mindfulness is all over the culture now, uh, here, Europe, all over the world. To eat with mindfulness, I repeat, affects the way in which food is metabolized and in turn our weight and well-being. That is mind-blowing. I mean, that is just really a mind-blowing concept. And if everybody even just practiced it starting for one meal a day, because I think about how many meals a day people are eating in motion in their uh-huh. car or whatever. If, if everybody just did it for one meal a day, how different could that be? I mean, that could be revolutionary. Yes. And here's more science. Again, mindfulness is in the culture. Blessing food was in the culture and still is with many people before eating. It affects your whole, your whole, your emotions have a huge impact on, on your body. We've all had experiences of being anxious or worried about something stressed so and many not being days. able to swallow not being able to yeah. eat as well yeah I lost my appetite or yeah all had that it's it's normal uh for the your emotions and your mindset to affect your your physiology and how foods metabolize let me give you an example of of this the science that i i give examples of all this one researcher named donald morris a physician took two groups of women and asked them to one group to meditate before eating a high carbohydrate meal. And he asked the other group of women to do mental arithmetic before eating a high carbohydrate meal. And what he found was the women who meditated before eating produced, I think it was 22% more of an enzyme, a protein, in their saliva, which is where digestion starts, called D-alpha amylase. And D-alpha amylase, before they ate, and the meditating women produced 22% more of D-alpha amylase, which helps you break down and metabolize carbohydrate foods. Wow. Here's another example in terms of weight. Dean Ornish, I mentioned his lifestyle or heart disease reversal program, that if you eat, a, if you have heart disease, if you eat a no fat at a plant based diet and do yoga and meditation for stress management one to two hours a day, exercise and social support and connection, you can actually reverse the plaque in the arteries. I'm bringing this up because Dr. Ornish took this intervention, and what he learned was, and this is again published in research journals, what he learned was those who did the Ornish intervention, but especially meditation, yoga and meditation, 
especially meditation, those who did the most meditation lost the most weight in wow. program. Wow. 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 And when that was combined with avoiding added dietary fat, such as butter and liquid corn oil, avoiding added dietary fat with one or two hours of meditation a day, perhaps, I don't know, 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes in the evening, those were the ones who lost the most weight. So as you were talking, one of the things I was thinking about is how sometimes, you know, I think I have these cravings, like suddenly I don't care for oranges. Suddenly I want to go to the store right now and buy a bag of oranges. How does our body tell us what we need and how do we know when to listen to it and when it's craving something for the wrong reasons like sugar or fat you talked a little bit about how high carb sugar fat do make you feel better so how do we know when our body's cravings are telling us because our bodies are so well adjusted to know what we need versus when they're telling us because we're emotional or something like that how do we know well it's not simple because we have learned to eat uh, unconsciously um, high-fat, high-carb foods, particularly when we're stressed. And the concept, uh, there's a whole specialty called intuitive eating, which is getting in touch with what you feel like eating, how your level of hunger. That takes time, and so does whole person integrative eating. And what takes time, Michaela, is getting in touch with yourself. I used to smoke cigarettes and a lot of them, two packs a day. I stopped when I was 25. And the physiological addiction to nicotine stops in about 48 hours. What I found is it took me about four, five, six months to get comfortable not smoking when I was feeling stressed or anxious and to just sit there. My hands were flying all over the place. And as with optimal eating, it calls for, and this is a huge concept based on what you're asking me about, it calls for being alone with yourself and your feelings and emotions. And that's huge. The whole person integrative eating program has some external guidelines and internal and the internal guidelines are being aware of eating mindfully eating with gratitude eating with loving regard eating with positive emotions and let me talk a little bit about what i call psychological nutrition five thousand years ago the original yogis were called rishis and they used their own mind body to meditate and decide and figure out what foods to eat in order to meditate and be calm and relaxed, but also to be alert while they were meditating. And what, if you flash forward to the 1970s in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, a researcher named Judith Wortman, this is just 50 years ago, she did some research with rats and fed them a high-carb food. I think it was potatoes. And what she discovered just about 50 years ago was that 
the rats released a natural hormone in their system when they ate high-carb foods, which went to their brain, called serotonin. And it takes about 20 minutes after eating a high-carb food, such as a donut or a muffin, uh, where, where most of us go when we're anxious and stressed, cakes, cookies. It releases serotonin, which calms and relaxes you. Norepinephrine, if you eat a high-protein food, you don't get stimulated like you might with caffeine, but it keeps you mentally alert. So we know food has a huge impact on your emotions. And whether you're feeling alert versus exhausted and sleepy, when you eat high-sugar, high-fat foods, yes, it releases serotonin, endorphins, which make you feel euphoric. As you're talking, I'm just thinking about how, you know, uh, popular culture has so driven what we think we should think when we feel certain ways. So, you know, with advertising and things like that, I mean, I was even just having a conversation with my husband this morning about Coca-Cola. And if you look back on the early days of Coca-Cola's advertising and marketing campaigns, the way that they presented it was basically like a high for you. It's a high for you to get you through your day, you know? And so the way that we have been trained to look at these sorts of things, I think, you know, it, with the imagery that we've been shown uh, in magazines, on television, et cetera, has had a huge impact on the why we go there, I think. You, you think correctly because it that sugar in Coca-Cola and the caffeine produce a high and you you do feel good we all know that caffeine makes you feel stimulated in in a good way unless you have too much and that sugar in high dense amounts of sugar in in um coca-cola it releases serotonin you're stimulated and you're also calm and you're feeling kind of euphoric so all this works this stuff works what happens though the other side of this is when you eat high sugar high fat foods high carb foods meaning white flour with uh in cookies and cake for example donuts the white flour is doesn't have the germ in it. You've heard of wheat germ. The germ has all the nutrients in it. That's been taken out. And the fiber has been taken out, which slows the way food's metabolized in your body. And companies like Hostess and Rainbow did a great job of promoting the heck out of the, the joys. And they knew, they probably knew, because, you know, when I look back on this, how many research journals were squashed because they didn't fit the growing you know, situation as far as the marketing campaigns from the the big pockets and things like that, you know, it didn't benefit hostess for people not to become addicted to white bread and cakes and cookies. <laughs> it, <laughs> you know? And it works. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I th- there's all these layers of politics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's always so. I, yeah, follow the money. Yes, go ahead. Follow the money. Yes. So what are the, you talk about this six healing secrets of food. We talked a lot about the overeating styles and things like that and, and where we focus our mind. And, and you have even mentioned here that we focus a lot of on externals like weight and things like that. What are the six healing secrets? Well, there are now seven because we started with six and it's gone into seven. So let me tell you the seven 
healing secrets are the antidotes and the RX, the prescription for each of the overeating styles. Let me just tell you this quickly. This program was, I did an online program for Spirituality and Health magazine about whole person integrative eating. And 5,200 plus people participated in this. And before they did the 18 lesson e-course on whole person integrative eating, we gave them a 76 item questionnaire to fill out about what and how they eat and asked them to fill it out after the e-course. And what we, this is how we discovered this. We found that those who ate, overate the most and were the most overweight or obese were the ones who lessened their overeating and lost weight based on the elements of whole person integrative eating that I'm going to be telling you about now. And this has been published in two peer-reviewed medical journals. This is not just a magic diet. It's a dietary lifestyle to follow forever, to practice like yoga, a lifetime practice, not to go on a diet and a regimented way of eating, but to enjoy food. So let me tell you the antidote here. For the overeating style, emotional eating, turning to food to manage negative feelings, such as anxiety and depression, which I just mentioned works <laughs> when you turn to high-carb foods. The antidote to that is positive feelings and to be aware of feelings and thoughts before, during, and after eating and to release negative emotions when you're eating, even if it's that donut and just be there with your food. Go back to your stress and anxiety after you have your donut or whatever. Enjoy you your donut so you can enjoy have your donut amylase and break down the carbs. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy your dang donut. <laughs> enjoy the donut. No judgment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really happy for that one. Thank you, Deborah. I'm going to take that with me next time I go to the dentist. <laughs> They're going to put me in some dietary jail for that. But yes, enjoy it. Go back to your stress and anxiety afterward. But you won't need to because you'll be calm and relaxed. Second overeating style, food fretting, which is dieting and judging food as good or bad. Over concern, obsession about the best way to eat. The antidote to that is to appreciate food and its origins from the heart. To replace looking at food in terms of calories, carbs, fat, protein, portion size. Go from that to simply looking at that food and appreciating it from the heart, the life-giving energy in that food. And you know, you probably won't choose a frozen mac and cheese if you're going to be looking at it from the heart. You're probably going to choose something that was uh, made a little more simply or something like that as well. That's a big decision. That's a big decision. Uh, one of the chapters in Whole Person Integrated Reading is, are you really ready to lose weight? And it's based on, it's called a concept of the five stages of change by two psychologists and most people go from stage number two, which is contemplating a change. Oh, gee, I need to lose weight. They go into stage three, which is action, um, which is the diet. And I'm suggesting 
use that time between I ought to do something about what I'm eating and how I'm eating and my weight instead of jumping into a diet or even whole person integrative eating to sit and weigh the pros and cons. What are you getting out of eating the way you're eating? What are you getting out of being overweight? Because some people are getting something. Many, many people who are obese have had been molested. And they are not safe being thinner. So to sit, to sit with what are the benefits about what you're currently doing with your relationship to food. And just sit with that. And what are the negatives? And make a conscious decision about if you want to make any changes, lifetime changes, not a diet, a dietary lifestyle, to turn food into a pleasurable delightful, positive way of eating and, I love and that. weight. Part Here's number four, the overeating style of sensory disregard, not savoring the scent, the flavor, the colors, perhaps the flavoring of uh, the flavors in food and not flavoring food with loving regard to come back to Dr. Schofer's comment, which started this journey. And the antidote to that to the sensory disregard overeating style is to savor and flavor food with loving regard. Remember, when I say flavor food with loving regard, remember the rabbit experiment I told you about. It affects the way food is metabolized when you're infusing yourself and the food with loving regard. There's something to what Dr. Chopra mentioned in terms of prana. I got to jump back to what's the antidote to fast food eating? Just slow down. The fast foodism, I call it fast foodism, is a diet of mostly fast processed fried high calorie foods. Here's the antidote to eat fresh. It's what we normally ate for thousands of years. Eat fresh, whole food in its natural state as often as possible. It's not a diet as often as possible. And when it's the holidays and you're with your family and enjoy if it's time to overeat somewhat, it's what you're doing most of the time throughout the rest of the year. The other concept with fast foodism, along with fresh food and whole food, is to eat what I call inversely. Most Americans eat dairy, milk products, fish, meat, poultry, And their main vegetables are French fries and ketchup. (laughs) That's what's normal. This is what's normal in in the culture. So inverse eating is what and how we ate for thousands of years. The Mediterranean diet, for example, if you look at Greece, the country of Greece, (laughs) not (laughs) G-R-E-A-S-E. If you look at the country Greece in the Mediterranean, they eat every day fresh fruits and vegetables and whole grains and such as barley. And they may have beans, legumes, beans and peas or lentils, some nuts and seeds. The meat, they have meat perhaps three, four times a, a month. They may have chicken uh, two or three times a week. 
and what they the animal food they typically eat almost every day is feta cheese, which is relatively low fat, and also the famous Greek yogurt and yogurt. So this inverse way of eating mostly plant-based foods with lesser amounts or no amounts, small amounts of animal foods is what has been normal for millennia. And it's the opposite of how we eat now. So true. So true. So, so true. what about the antidote to snacking? Yeah. That's a tough and one. Snacking, eating while doing other activities such as working and driving and watching television. Again, all normal. The task snacking RX is mindfulness eating to bring moment to moment non judgmental awareness to every aspect of the meal. So if you're at your computer, when you take a bite of whatever you're eating, just pause, take your eyes off the computer, just pause and eat while you're eating, then go back. So you yeah, don't have even to just look at your food. Yeah. Just be mindful. Yes. Yeah. The overeating style of unappetizing atmosphere, which is internal and external, I mentioned to you, is eating in unpleasant psychological and aesthetic surroundings. The antidote is amiable ambiance to eat in pleasant psychological and aesthetic surroundings. So if you're eating that muffin while you're, I don't know, filling up at the gas station, just pause for a moment, wait till you get into your car, take a bite, just pause, be present. That's and good. finally, the overeating style of solo dining. Again, more and more of us eat by ourselves, and that's strongly correlated with overeating and depression and anxiety and all this interconnected web. Uh, dining alone most of the time. The antidote is to share fare, is to enjoy food experiences with others as often as possible. I love it. Gosh, Deborah, these are all so helpful. I really appreciate having you on today. What a great conversation. Um, how, so I'm going to link the, your website for the whole person integrated eating. How else can people get in touch with you? Um, the best way would be to send me an email at, uh, Deborah at integrativeeating.com. And uh, certainly please visit my website, integrativeeating.com. We're also, we just, this is all new, along with the book just coming out, Whole Person Integrative Eating last week. I have partnered, not partnered, I have teamed up with the American Association, American Academy of Sports Dietitians and Nutritionists. And I have written a, and created a certification course for health professionals. So wow. you can find out about that on my website also. Wow. Fabulous. And I'll link all that in the show notes. And again, thank, thank you so you. much for being on today and talking about this, you know, highly unique and, and great consideration for how to tackle um, the obesity epidemic in America. My pleasure, my pleasure Michaela. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.